Let's, let's look at where we've been so we can, can see where we're, where we're heading in, in our text today. And um, So we've been studying the book of Revelation over the past several weeks, and it's a pretty challenging book. It's one of those books where it's known as apocalyptic, and so that word is a big, scary word sometimes. But the, the word apocalypse, just it means to unveil. If you, if you really just define the word, it's almost like something has been hidden for a long time. And, and to, to uh, the apocalypse is when the veil is pulled and now all of a sudden something that had been there that you didn't see becomes clear. And so it, it is an end time book. It, it's broken up really in three main parts. Um, you know, John the Revelator, who did many different things in his life, who wrote this book on the Isle of Patmos, which is a gorgeous island um, that still exists today. Uh, and so he's writing this book as a prisoner. Uh, history tells us that he might have been mining for, for granite, believe it or not. So he was doing hard work outside every day. And in that time where he's exiled to the island of Patmos, he writes this book. And it's, a, it's an amazing book for a few reasons, but it, it's, it's full of what we call symbolism. It's full of things that, you know, that you have to interpret, like an Elon Musk tweet, okay? You, all know, you know what I'm saying? A meme. Like, it, it's got, everybody is all loving that, you know, it's, so it's like a modern-day meme kind of thing, right? And so there's so much symbolism in it, um, and, and so there's a, there's a lot around that book. There's a lot of ways that you could interpret the book. And the way that we've been trying to go through it is to just keep it simple. As simple as we can, where we can interpret something, literally we do that. So not everything is, is, you know, has, has symbolism to it. So where we can take the actual literal, what he wrote it, and interpret it to our day. That's the way that we've done it. And, and so we started off with, uh, you know, the first five chapters. We've been going a, a chapter a week. And we looked at the messages to the church in chapter 3. We looked at the vision of heaven in chapter 4. So all this kind of flows together. It's, it's one, it was one revelation. One revelation. It, it wasn't, it's not the book of revelations, plural. It was just one continuous revelation. The revelation of Jesus given to John the Revelator. And so he's writing what he's seeing. And so he sees this incredible vision of, of, in chapter 4 of heaven and worship. And all. there's these beasts around the throne and angels and elders. Lay, you know, the, and it's this incredible picture of worship. And then in chapter 5, the vision continues. But a, a scroll is presented. It was in the right hand of God as he's seated on the throne. And it says that John, he wept. We read about this last week because nobody could open the scroll. What was the scroll? Well, I think there's a lot to that. I think it's where history, it's, it's history, it's, it's the present, and it's the future. And it's been known as the title deed of the world. That was the scroll that God was holding in his hand. And the way he describes it with seven seals 2,000 years ago, if you bought property, purchased property, or gifted property, it would be sealed with seven seals. And so it's, it's, it's known as really the title deed of the world. And so we, we, we read about that last week. We went into detail about that. There, there was one person that could open the scroll. And it was the, they described him as the Lamb of God, right? And so we know that that's Jesus. And the vision continues on today in Revelation chapter 6. And, and this is where we get into what's known as, and if you've been in church a while, you've probably heard this. If this is your first time or you didn't go to church, you know, growing up, this is maybe brand new to you. But it's, it's known as the tribulation period. Daniel, you know, it's, it's been 
prophesied about in multiple Old Testament books, but it's this, this, this season that's coming, this time frame that's coming to the earth that really wraps up the age that we're in that's known as the dispensation of grace. And so right now we are in, the dis- I believe, the dispensation of grace. That is whosoever will, let him come. That everybody can come to God, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have, that anyone can come to God and receive grace. That this isn't just an exclusive club for the frozen chosen. Come on, somebody. Like, this is, this is for whosoever will. But that age is going to end. And, it's going to, and then it's going to begin what's known as the, the tribulation period. And in Revelation chapter 6, a part of that vision of worship, as the Lamb begins to open the scroll, the tribulation begins. And, and, it, and it's kicked off by four riders on four horses. And some of you may have heard of the four riders of the apocalypse or the four horsemen. Maybe you haven't. So it, it, it's kind of like if you've watched these old Western movies, right, when, when they come riding in on the horses, you, you know something's about to go down. And, and before we, we read this, uh, these verses, I just, just, I just want to encourage you. We're studying this book primarily, number one, because it's the only book in the entire Bible that in the very beginning, the first couple of verses, John says, blessed is the person who just reads this book. That if, that like by, you know, there's a promised blessing by just reading this book. Well, why did he put that there? Probably because he knew that there, there would be the possibility that we'd want to avoid the book. Because it's full of tribulation. It's full of trouble. It's full of, of what is to come. It's, 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 there's judgments. There's different things that we don't like to read. I don't like to read, right? So, so it, can, it can come across as discouraging, but really... There's some encouragement there. And I hope today that we walk away comforted and we walk away encouraged. And so I just want to read seven verses. This is Revelation chapter 6. Now again, we left off. The seal has been opened. The lamb was able to open the scroll. Now here is the first seal. And I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked And there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. So there's rider number one. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth. And to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. Verse 5. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Verse 7, when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. Are you encouraged yet? Okay, all right. So they, they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Wow. All right. So the four riders 
of the apocalypse. Now, what, is, what does that mean to us? So our four horses going to appear out of the sky, white, red, black, and, and that pale color. Is this, is this going to literally happen? I don't, I don't think so. I think this is symbolic. I think there's a lot happening in these, in these few verses. And, and I want you to see this just before we jump in. That, again, that these horses are not good horses. These riders are not good riders. And as I began studying for this message, it was pretty amazing to me just researching war horses. I know a lot of people in our church love horses and, and they own horses. And, and they're some of the smartest creatures on the planet. But in that day, if you would go to battle, and when, when John was writing this book, Rome was at war. It was all around him. And you see it all throughout the New Testament. Paul, the, the armor of God, he used what he's seen as symbolism. And what he was seeing was war and fighting. And so he takes that, and, and, and from this vision, he's able to translate it into what we have today. But these are what I would call war horses. These are not the horses that you want to hear running. <laughs> and, 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 you know, looking at how they trained war horses, it's amazing. You know, even in World War I, they used horses. I didn't know this. There was over um, six million horses used in World War I. And if you go back even farther to like when there was, uh, you know, different wars, B.C., so before Christ, uh, being able to have a horse and, and, a, and a war horse was a very valuable thing. But I want you, these horses were so trained that they would, if they were told to stay, even in the middle of a burning building, they wouldn't move. So they were, they were, they were just steadfast, unmovable. And when you look at these four horses in these few verses, the first thing I want you to see is that these horses don't ride on their own account. Every single horse, if you, as we just read those verses, that they were told. It says that one of the beasts in the vision that we had in, verse, in chapter 4, the vision of worship, that these, these were, these were um, creatures that worshipped God. It was these creatures that were calling these, these horses out. And so as, as you see this, the first thing I want, you to, I want you to see is that, and this is really, I didn't find this, B Billy Graham wrote a book called The Approaching Hoofbeats in 1980. And in his book, it, it, it's hard to find now, um, I had to buy it used, and, and my dog, which is not going to make it to heaven, chewed the book up this week. Uh, so I had this super, I'm really worried about my dog, you know, and so he, he's like, he's specific on the books that he chews, but uh, this was a really hard book to find. But uh, thankfully, I, I, re I read it, but in, this, in his book, he, he asks a question. He says, I've been studying these horses for years, Billy Graham. And I, I asked God, when I read these, these eight verses, I felt the same thing. Is, is this set in stone? Does this have to happen? Do these riders have to come forth? Do all, does all, and, and, and what I'm finding, and, and according, and y'all could take it up with Billy Graham, but he, he believed that it was both conditional and unconditional. He believed that the church could delay this. Just like when Jonah was sent to Nineveh. And God gave a timeline on when Nineveh would be destroyed. But because of Jonah's obedience and disobedience, right, he did both. But Jonah was able to save the city even though God said, hey, I'm going to take it out. And the other thing I noticed is that these riders don't ride on their own. It's not like they just, okay, when they feel like coming and wrecking havoc on the earth, they're released. They are told. 
And this is a judgment like the world has never seen up until this point when this time happens. Because a lot of the judgment and the pain that we, that we feel is based off of the fall. It's based off of sin, right? And, and, and we go back to the Garden of Eden, and so a lot of the pain and the trouble and everything that we face in this life is a result of sin. But we know that this tribulation period is not like that. This is known as the judgment of God. This is when, when God does some things unlike he's ever done throughout history. But the first thing I want you to see is that these are both conditional and unconditional. That our prayers for peace and our prayers for, the, for those that may be experiencing poverty or those that may be experiencing the, the, the effects of these horses in their life right now really make a difference. And in Billy Graham's book, again, that was written in the 80s, a line from that book is, is he, he addresses it. He says, I believe that these, these riders, they may not be here, but you can hear their hoofbeats getting louder every day. And so I want to look at these horses for just a few moments, and then we're, we're going to turn the page and look at what we, what we should do about this and what it all means. And the first thing as we, as we look at this is a lot of times when, when we go to the book of Revelation, we, we try to kind of match it up with, with what's happening in our world. We try to interpret the book based on breaking news. And so as we jump into this, I don't want you to do that. Because I believe that breaking news confirms the Bible, but it doesn't interpret the Bible. And so in order to get understanding on what, is, what, this, what this is, we've got to go, go to the Bible. And so there's, there's one really, really powerful passage that runs right alongside of Revelation 6. I didn't put it in your notes, but it's Matthew 24. And the disciples are sitting around with Jesus, and they're just chilling, and they ask him, hey, when, are, when is the end of the world coming, Jesus? Like, will you, will you let us know? Like, we're, we're, they've been promised a place in his, um, you know, they've been promised, promised a leadership role with Jesus. He told them that they would rule and reign with him. And so they're overlooking the temple, and they ask a valid question. When is all this going to wrap up? In Matthew 24, in exact order, he describes the events that would be taking place exactly the way that Revelation 6 describes them. And so the first horse that rides out is the white horse. Now, if you've watched many westerns, maybe you haven't, but the guy that rides the white horse is normally the, the good guy, right? The black horse is the bad guy. The white horse is the good guy. We also know later in Revelation that Jesus is going to return. It's the hope that we have as a church. It's the hope that we've held for thousands of years. And we all know what he's going to be riding on, right? A white horse, specifically. And so when you read this, when you read about this rider on the white horse that has a bow with no arrows, and, he, and he's bent on conquering, it would be easy to think, well, that's Jesus. And it sounds like Jesus, and it looks like Jesus, and it's described even like Jesus towards the end of Revelation when he returns, but I don't believe that that rider is Jesus at all. Because one of the things that's going to happen during this tribulation period, and, and, and there's many different parts of the Bible that confirm this, is that there's going to be one person that kind of rises to the top of leadership of the world. And he's known as the Antichrist, right? You've heard that. It's not only known as Antichrist, he's known as the son of perdition, the beast, the man of sin, man of lawlessness, little horn. Like, you've, you've probably heard this before, but if you haven't, I, I want to just reiterate it. And I want you to see how this rider, this rider rides out, and he has the appearance of Jesus, but it's not him. 
And I think what this first writer represents is disruption and deception. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking to his boys about the end of the world. The first thing he says is many are going to be deceived, even the elect. And he goes on, he says, many are going to come in my name and say that they're Jesus. There's multiple people on the planet right now doing that. They're going to say, I'm the Messiah, this, it's me, I've come back. You know, and they're going to draw a, a following to themselves. But this one person, it'll work. And the whole world, according to the Bible, is going to follow the lead of this first writer. And, and so Antichrist doesn't just mean against Christ, it means instead of Christ. And so he's going to put himself in the place of God. And so is this person here right now? Is he alive? It's amazing to me, you can go back and, you know, and you probably won't do this, but you can read commentaries from a few hundred years ago about these four horsemen. And just about every commentary I read, somebody mentioned a person that was alive and said, it's this guy. <laughs> In the 30s and 40s, you could probably imagine who, who they thought it was. Adolf Hitler. What I didn't know before studying this is that Adolf Hitler signed a peace treaty before he unleashed hell on the earth. He came saying peace and safety. But he had the opposite in mind. Daniel 8, verse 25. Through peace, he will deceive many. Deuteronomy 20, verse 10. He took a page right out of God's own warfare tactics. This was an Israelite warfare. It says, when you march up to an attack a city, make, it, make, a, make its people an offer of peace. And so this first rider, without any arrows, just a bow, is going to come and bring all the answers that the world currently would have, and he's going to deceive many. So it's disruption, it's deception. The second horse that rides out, the, the, the red horse, the fiery red horse. So this, this horse represents, and as you can tell just from reading it, this represents war. Matthew 24 goes along with it. He talks about wars and rumors of wars in that day, that there's going to be, you'll be at war, and then they'll be talking about a new war starting. It's incredible if you look over the last 2,000 years that, that the, the world has really been in conflict. We've had more days of war than we've had peace. If you're a post-millennial in here, you're under 20, you're a post-millennial, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I call it post-millennial. Okay. If you were born like after 1990, 1995, you've seen a lot of war. You've seen a lot of conflict. This writer comes out and his clarion call is going to be fear and violence. And so the landscape has really changed over the last just really a hundred years because of the development of the nuclear bomb. And when you read about this war and violence and you read about a third of the earth being caught up in the middle of this and, and being killed in this great war, how is that even possible a hundred years ago? Maybe a lot of fighting, a lot of swords, a lot of, lot, of, lot of shooting, but now things are a little different. General Omar Bradley, he's a, he was a senior officer of the U.S. Army during World War II. He gave a speech in 1948. This is what he said. He said, we have grasped the mystery of the atom and rejected the Sermon on the Mount. The world has achieved brilliance without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. And I think he was right. And when he wrote that, there was just a few hundred nuclear bombs that existed. Now, 12,700 exist. 
How many would it take to just cover the globe and completely just destroy the earth? A hundred. And so these things exist, and I know it's getting quiet, but I'm just saying that this writer is writing, and we know where this is heading. And so we pray for the peace of our country. We pray for the peace, and, and you, we pray for peace. Why? Because this is not something we really want to see happen on the earth, that red horse. The next horse, the black horse, really it, it kind of falls in line with fear and violence. This is the horse of economic collapse that we're, we're, we're seeing bits and pieces of it. And if you're over 20, 30 years old in here, you've seen this happen. I'm going to read it again. This writer was holding a pair of scales. I heard what sounded like a voice among the four creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for one day's wage. Now, back then, one day's wage should have gotten you about 40 pounds of wheat. And so what he's describing is an economic collapse so bad that inflation hits so heavy that just to feed yourself, just one person, will take a full day of work. And it's amazing how we, we see this happening in a small scale in right now. And they kind of tether with each other. Like war usually brings inflation and economic collapse. And then here comes the next rider known as the pale horse. So the pale horse, it's like yellowish green is the real color. It's the color of yuck is what that, that horse is. So if you think of a yucky color, this, this color comes out and just complete, and this horse comes out and kind of completes the cycle. This deceiver comes to bring peace. He has false motives, leads the, war, the world to war. We see economic collapse, and it's different than like we've ever seen before. And then this pale horse. Now, I know these are not very positive things. I know that. But it's crazy to me that you can watch the current events right now and see so much of this happening in our, in our world. And does that mean that these riders are here? Does that mean that these are just forerunners that we're feeling kind of, the, we're hearing the hoofbeats? So many people thought Adolf Hitler was that guy. He was the Antichrist. He had all the marks of it. I mean, he wanted to rule the world. He wanted to dominate. He, I mean, so all of these things we've, I think we've seen before. And what I'm finding is, is just like reading and studying this type of, of, of book and even reading the New Testament, reading Paul's writings, they all thought that Jesus was coming back like that afternoon. Every one of them. And so I think what it does, number one, you know, when we ask that question, is this now? Are we living in the end times? I think a better way to rephrase that is when somebody asks me that, is they don't really want to know what time it is. They want to know, what do I do with the last remaining time that I have here? Because it may not be the end times, and we're not seeing this in severity, and, and we, but what we are seeing and asking ourselves the question every day is, what do I do with the rest of the time I have? So we may not be in the end days, but I know I'm in my last days. I know that life is a vapor, and before we know it, it's going to be, it's, it's, it's going to be gone. And, and, and the decisions we make and the way that we live our life is so important. And, and I think what we don't want to do is get distracted when God is saying, okay, this is, this is what I want you to do. And so that was the, the negative part. Let's get to the good stuff. <laughs> There's a parallel passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that runs right along with Revelation 6. And it was Paul's way of preparing us, the church, saying, hey, if you find yourself living in the last days, it's kind of a last days checklist. 
And he says, these are the things I want you to do. This is what I want you to focus on. And I'm going to read that. I've got a few things I want to pull out of that, and then we're going to pray. It says, now, brothers, about the times and dates, we don't need to write to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. For you know very well that the day of the Lord that we just read about will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, verse 4, but you brothers are not in darkness. So this day will not surprise you as a thief. But you are all sons of the light, sons of the day. We do not belong to the light or to the darkness. Verse 6, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Now I want you to see this. He says to put on some things. Put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Can I get an amen? But to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus. I'm going to read verse 10. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are now doing. And so there's a few things in there that I think are imperative to us. And I, I love the imagery that he's using. He's using the imagery of a soldier. He says, I, you know, first off, he says, wake up. <laughs> he says, if you're sleeping, this is not a time to sleep. This is not a time to get distracted or deceived. The second thing he says is to sober up. And he uses alcohol as an illustration, but he's using it as an illustration. He says, don't let anything in your spirit that would make you intoxicated like drinking alcohol would. So he says, wake up says sober up and then the third thing he says is he wants you to he says I want you to suit up and he uses this this imagery of a, of a, of a helmet and a, and a breastplate so I want to look at those because 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 they're important and so the first the first thing that he tells us to do is he says to put on put on this this breastplate of faith so I think after hearing all this and I know this can feel really discouraging sometimes but the Bible challenges us. He says, no, if you, if you look around, you can get fearful. If you, if you kind of gauge how you're going to be and feel that day based on what you see on the news every morning, you're going to walk around fearful. But he's saying, I want you to live differently. I want you to prepare yourself like a soldier does for battle. I want you to put on this breastplate of faith. So ultimately, I think what he's saying is put on faith rather than fear. Because fear is being fed down, down the pipe every day. Fear is something that, that it's, it's on the news. As we read about it, we see it. It's like, you know, there, this is something that is not new to, to society. This is not new to civilization, right? There's always been wars and there's been pestilences and there's been famines. We just, you know, we've been through some stuff in the last couple of years. But the last thing God wants you to be is scared. Because when we're fearful and we're scared, we're not ourselves. Fear will lie to you. Fear and faith are similar in this one way. They both believe in things that don't exist. And that's the, what the enemy loves to do, is to get us scared about things that we shouldn't be scared about. To get us worried about things that we shouldn't be worried about. And so every day, again, every day, Paul is exhorting us, put on faith. 
Put on the news, get what you need fear-wise, and then put on some faith. Read your devotion, right? I mean, because that's, that's what they're selling, y'all. I mean, nobody wants to watch puppies getting rescued. They, they, it's, it's live updates from the, you know, it's, it's war, it's famine. It, that's, that's what it feels like people are kind of drawn to it. And, and Paul is saying, don't do that. Know what you need to know. Not, you know I mean, th- he, he's not saying go live under a rock and ignore it all like it doesn't exist. But put on faith every day. Put on faith every day. Know that no matter how dark it gets out there, that God is still in control. And know that no matter how, how much things in your life may not seem as you know, positive some days, that through faith, nothing is impossible. And one of the things that I hope that you, you feel when you come here and you leave with is you just leave full of faith. Because if we look at, I mean, Corey Ten Boom said it like this, if you look at the world, you'll get distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. And so when all this stuff starts happening around us, and it is happening, and it's been happening for thousands of years, look up, not around. Look to God. Let it build your faith. Let it remind you that we're heading somewhere. That God has a plan. So he says, put on this, he says, put on the breastplate of faith. And then he says, put on this helmet, which is the hope of your salvation. And so I think the second thing that we can draw out of that is to put on hope every day rather than despair. Because if you, I I mean, I I feel like the, I I honestly, I'm going to be just plain, just plain honest with you. I had to get a dumb phone for a few months because I was reading too much news like, it was, it, was, it was affecting me. Like, I was not able to sleep. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and want to know what was going on in China or Russia or wherever. Like, thinking, you know, like, just paranoid all the time. And, 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 and I don't think that's a healthy way to live. And we're getting in a day, an hour now, where every day we got to make a decision. And we're going to be people that are full of hope. We're not going to be, you know, disparaging. We're not going to be walking around discouraged. We're not going to, well, you know, we're, we're not going to be those Christians. Come on, somebody. I heard a story about a, this guy was driving by a church, and there was these two men in the front holding signs that said, the end is near. The other one said, turn around now or you'll, or you'll, or you'll die. And the guy pulled up and, and seen the signs. He said, y'all are crazy. And he peels off. Then the two guys in front of the church heard a splash. They looked at each other and said, maybe we should just make a sign that says the bridge is out. (laughs) That was better than y'all are laughing. I know I've told that joke before. It's been about five years. uh, Put on hope every day, right? Like when you, when you show up, I mean, put on that, that get that, that Tigger attitude. Come on, somebody. Like, like I'm just ready to take on the world. I'm full of hope. Why? Because I know how this is going to end. And Frederick Beekner said it like this, the worst thing is never the last thing. And when it comes to God's economy, some of you need to, you need to take that. That's, that's yours. The worst thing that happens in your life and in this world is never the last thing. And so we're reading about some challenging times that are coming, but there's another chapter. <laughs> and, and there's more to the story because it doesn't end there. Hope is defined as a confident expectation that goodness is coming. 
You should take that to the bank this morning. You should, you should write that down. You need something in your life that you're looking forward to, some kind of goodness that's coming. And I can promise you, say you don't have that right now, God's got something good for you. And he doesn't waste pain. And he doesn't waste trials. And he doesn't waste discouragement. And so maybe that's why you've been going through the trials and the pain and the discouragement. Because God's got something really good on the other side of that. Hope. Hope. Faith is the, is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things that we cannot see. Hope is the all-star in that. Your faith needs a target. You've got to have something in your life that you're hoping for. It's a Wonderful Life. Y'all probably seen that movie. The angel comes down. He says, "I gotta, I gotta take care. I gotta take care of this this young man." And, and the angel, they're wanting to know what's going on with him. Did he, did he lose his job? Did he lose his family? The angel said, "No, he lost hope." <laughs> we got to have hope in our life. We got to have something that we, you know, you got to have something that you're holding on to in your future that you're heading towards. Put on hope. Put it on. It's, it's, it's a decision. Sometimes we want the hope bus to hit us, but it might not. It, it, it's like we, gotta, we, have to, we have to put it on. He said, put on the helmet of hope. And then the last thing he says, and I think it's the greatest of all, is he talks about love, this breastplate of faith and of love. And so where does love fall in all this? This scene of the world, preacher. We need to go barricade ourselves. <laughs> we need to get underground. It's, it's the, I mean, I need to run to Walmart and get rations. Like, what are we, what are we doing? We're out of baby milk. Uh, you know, that, I mean, it's a, it's a real <laughs> formula. Uh, you know, it, it's a, <laughs> I'm sorry. You can't milk a baby, so don't do that. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm, my, my mind is in Destin right now, okay? That's where I'm leaving after this and we're for our anniversary. And, uh, so what do, what do we do? I think John Perkins said it the best. Love alone, love is the final fight. And sometimes we can look at it at the, at like it's more than that. No, give me, you know, what should I do? Where, where, you know, where should I go? No, this is, I think the best thing we can do, seeing all this, is to put on love every day rather than indifference because there's never been a day and a moment where it's been easier to hate somebody that we don't even know or to dislike somebody that we've never met and the world is kind of at each other's throats every moment of every of every day and god's saying no 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 i summed it all up in this you don't need to know what these riders represent you don't need to know when these riders are coming you don't need to worry yourself with all of this stuff in the future this is the best thing you can do is just love the person in front of you and even better than this love yourself the way that you want to be able to love that person because it's connected And so put on love. It's so easy right now to make an enemy out of someone we've never met. It's so easy right now to point fingers and say they're wrong and we're right. But when it's all said and done, the only thing that's going to last is the triune of Christian virtues. It's 1 Corinthians 13. It's all over the New Testament. It's faith, hope, and love. If we can hold on to those things in the middle of all everything that's going on in the world, God said, I'm going to take care of you. <laughs> this is the last verse I want to I read, and then we're going to pray. 
So it's the message version. 1 Corinthians 14, right after the, the love chapter, Paul says, go after a life of love as if your life depended on it. Because it does. And so don't worry yourself about the news and the breaking news and the riders of the apocalypse and the seven Trump judgments and the seals and all these things that are going on. What it all should do is drive us to love our family and love our community and love our church and love our enemies. Mother Teresa, she knew a little something about that. She said, if you want to change the world, you really want to change the world, Go home and love your family. Because love alone is worth the fight. Love is how this all ends. God is love. And he said, if there are people in this world are going to know you're a Christian, not by how much you go to church, they're going to know because of your love. And so we've been called to love sacrificially. We've been called to love even when it hurts. We've been called to love even when it's not popular anymore. We've been called to love even when it's, it's, it, it seems like it's just not making any difference. We've been called to lay our lives down. And that'll change the world. That might even push back the apocalypse, y'all. I don't know. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your word. It gives us confidence. It gives us expectation. It reminds us, Lord, that we're heading somewhere. It reminds us, Lord, of your goodness. And so, Lord, we just, I just pray right now, God, that your love would, would fill every person's heart in this room. Maybe you're here and you have just felt it's been hard to love. Someone in your life that maybe, I don't know, God's calling you to love them and, and it's, just, it's just been hard to do. We just open our hearts right now to the Holy Spirit, God, and we ask that that love, the love that Jesus had, the love that motivated Jesus, the love that, that he was led by, the love that he changed the world with, God, that you would fill our hearts with that love. Lord, help us every day to be people of hope, to be people of faith, and to be people that love that love our neighbors, that love our family, love our friends, love our community. Lord, help us to love well, especially as we see the day approaching, especially as we see things beginning to, to point towards your return and we see these things happening before us. God, help us even more to be people who are known by our love. We just thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.